Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by Amanda O'Rourke, Executive Director of 880 Cities, to discuss the importance of public spaces that are designed for people of all ages and abilities. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Gordon. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. And before we dive in, could you share a bit more about yourself and 880 Cities? Yes. So I'm the executive director of 880 Cities, as you said. My background is actually in urban planning. And uh, I've been the ED for five years now, but been with the organization for 17 years, if you can believe it. And 880 Cities is a nonprofit organization. We are based in Toronto, Canada, uh, but we work all over the world, actually. And our mission is to ignite action and challenge the status quo to create healthier, more equitable, more sustainable cities for all. Wonderful. Well, where did the 880 come from with the name? Yeah, the 880 comes from this sort of guiding concept uh, that is baked into the vision of the organization. And we believe that if you build a city that's great for an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old, you're probably going to create a better city for everyone. So that sort of starting question is always our starting point to think about broader questions about who are we designing the city for and public spaces for, and who are we leaving out? So the eight and 80 is a great sort of way to get people thinking about not just eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds, but people of all ages, all abilities, all backgrounds. Absolutely. That is fantastic. And I love that because when people think of AARP, many times they only think of older adults. And we want to make sure that people know that AARP, it is for everyone if you really think about it, because an an eight-year-old to an 80-year-old, we kind of start needing the same things at some point. And we'll, that's a different topic, but. um, (laughs) I think too, no, it's a good point. I think too, that everyone can kind of visualize and think about an eight-year-old and an eight-year-old. Like we're all aging, you know, aging is a universal human experience. And so if we can connect to that universal human experience, first off, then we can sort of think about these broader conversations on equitable public space and equitable access to public space. Absolutely. So according to 880 Cities, what are the essential ingredients for a city or town? Yeah. So, I mean, our vision is really to create healthy, happy cities to grow up in and grow old in. For us, that is centered around three kind of key rights that we talk about. So we talk about the right to mobility, the right to public space, and the right to participate. So the right to mobility is that we think that everyone should have 
the ability to safely and comfortably move within their city by walking or riding bicycles or using public transit. And the reason that we talk about those three, walking, cycling, and public transit, is because those are the modes that help us create those healthier, more equitable and sustainable cities that we're striving towards. The second right is the right to public space, which I know is kind of the topic of today. But also when we talk about mobility, streets are the largest public space often in our cities. So these are our connected concepts. And everyone should have great parks and public spaces and access to great parks and public spaces that meet their needs. It's as simple as that, that it should be a simple 10-minute walk within everyone's home to have a great access to, to a great park or a great quality public space. And then the third right is the right to participate. And that is really that everyone in our cities and towns should be able to participate in city and town development decisions that affect them. The processes designed to engage residents uh, are accessible and inclusive. So those are kind of the three key elements of creating what we call, you know, an 880 city, the right to mobility, the right to public space, and the right to participate. Oh, wow, Amanda, you made that so clear for us. And I, I love that for our audience because we are in clear terms to make things clear. And the mobility one, it, it just reminds me of your name again, 8 to 80. We all could ride a bike, right? I have a friend in um, Santa Barbara. He was riding his bike up until he was, I think, 96. Amazing. And now he's in a care facility and he's not riding his bike now. But just thinking about how he would ride up and down and people would say, get a crack of dawn in the morning and take a ride to the beach. And I just love it. And thinking about us walking or cycling or even being on public transportation at those ages, it's uh, it's accessible to your name, 880. And so I love mobility being one of your main ones. And of course, participation, being able to advocate for the development that's in your communities is fantastic. And what we're here to talk about today, public spaces, the accessibility of, of parks, public parks and public spaces for everyone. And of course, the, the mobility parts connected because the streets are connected. So thank you for explaining that in such a clear, clear way. Now, today, since we're really talking about and focusing on the public spaces and parks, why is access to public spaces and parks so important? And how do they contribute to the livability of a community? Yeah, it's such a great question. And it's one that really one that we're passionate about at 880 Cities. And ultimately, great parks and public spaces contribute to livable communities for all ages, first stop, uh, as a statement, as a fact. And we know this because the research really supports this vehemently. There's so much research out there to, that supports that access to great parks and public spaces improve our mental health, improve our physical health, they improve our connection to nature, which is like fundamental human need. You know, talking about those healthy, happy cities to grow up in and grow old in. Access to great parks is, is about that, is a key ingredient of that. Having access to parks and public spaces also encourages us to move our bodies more and improve our physical health. And 
on a broader scale, parks contribute very much to ecosystem health. You know, they're good for the environment. They clean our air, they clean our water. They help with stormwater management and, and reducing flooding. They clean our air. There's, there's so many benefits in terms of the broader scale as well that parks contribute to livable, healthy communities. And then ultimately, I would say one of the last ones and really important ones is that they facilitate community connection. You know, you can meet your neighbors and meet new people, make new friends, gather. Great parks and public spaces also have been shown to really promote socioeconomic mixing, which I think is very important. And in terms of, you know, rebuilding trust and uh, building connections uh, across uh, multiple incomes, backgrounds, racial backgrounds, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, I think parks and great public spaces have the opportunity really to be such an important platform for uh, advancing equity in communities as well. Such an important space in the community. And you're absolutely right. Of course, you know all the data uh, in terms of there's statistics out there that show the importance of parks and public spaces. I get to live it every day. I have a hiking group and we hike in one of our public parks here, Kennethon Park, and run into every type of person that you can imagine and from the little kids moving a little faster than we move all the way to our uh, most elderly and wise community, we have so much fun meeting and greeting each other, smiling. It's so important for that socioeconomic mixing and even generational mixing is what I'm finding. And again, being that community connection, thank you for mentioning that. It's also very important. We had a young man that used to run around the park and we would see him and always wave. Our group group would wave. And after a while, he disappeared. We didn't know where he was. So I started inquiring different people who he was, got his number, called him and found out that he had been injured. So we were able to send over a card, to send over a message. And it just touched him so much that somebody missed him from being in that park. So those connections are so important in the work you're doing, I think, so valuable in terms of assuring public spaces are accessible. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that because I think it really does speak to the power of, of parks and public spaces as places that can combat loneliness as well. Uh, we have a loneliness epidemic in Canada and the U.S. The Surgeon General just released this big report around the epidemic of loneliness, and it's not, it used to be said that it was really focused on the older adults, but it's not. It's across generations. And I think public spaces can be such a great platform for rebuilding and restoring connection with each other. Yes. when I love that the parks are such a connecting space. When we see young people even running or doing something, we give them encouragement. And of course, they get a little different pep in their step. So not only the loneliness, but acknowledging people that are going through something where they feel like maybe they're nobody sees them and all of a sudden somebody sees them. What a wonderful way to assure that people are coming together. So let's get a little more into these public spaces and talk about some of the features of public spaces or parks that make it good for an eight-year-old and on the other hand, an 80-year-old, or as AARP likes to say, age-friendly. 
Yeah. I mean, the features of parks and public spaces that work sort of across the age spectrum and across, you know, many different intersecting identities spectrum is really there's a design component often, you know, really thinking intentionally about design. Are there places to sit? Are there places to rest? Are there smooth surfaces to walk on if you're, you know, a person with a mobility device or you're pushing a stroller? Are there public washrooms? This is a big one. Uh, Is there a place, you know, if you're going to be spending some time in a park, I have three kids. If I'm spending time in a park for a good amount of time, there better be a public washroom, a clean, well-maintained public washroom if I'm going to spend some time there. Um, You know, there's design elements that are kind of basic, good amenities and infrastructure. And then there's sort of design that really welcomes in terms of easy signage and easily navigable access to the park. Is it walkable to get to the park? Even if you have a park close by, a lot of times thinking about that eight-year-old, parents are terrified to send their eight or nine or 10-year-old to even cross the street to get to the park because the traffic is not so good or is moving at a fast uh, pace. So there's the design piece for sure, which is a really important piece. But one of the things I think that is often overlooked in creating great parks and public spaces are the programs and activities. So you can have even a beautifully designed park and really nothing to do there. (laughs) So a lot of, um, uh, I think, the most successful parks and public spaces that work across generation and really invite people of all ages, abilities and backgrounds are ones that have diverse programming, you know, programs that really meet the needs of the community. Could be anything from, you know, a homework club to a yoga class to a knitting circle to, you know, the the ideas actually from community are usually way more creative than what I can come up with. Um, But it's really about uh, does community have an opportunity to engage directly in actually activating the parks themselves? uh, And are there programs available for the community that meet their needs? It could even be like programs that are focused on social recovery for people experiencing homelessness in the park. So it's really very much connected to thinking about the needs of community and then programming and activating it based based on that idea. And I think that's what really often makes those successful community spaces where people really feel like they belong. And so we talked about design, programming, and third, I think, is just related to that right to participate. I talked about that community members are actively involved, have clear communication on what's happening in the park. They can have opportunities to actually take leadership, um, you know, youth to be engaged or older adults to be engaged and doing a walking club, like you mentioned, or being actively involved in any design improvements to the park. I think those three key elements are really important when we think about creating age-friendly public spaces. Well, those are very important elements in terms of the design, the uh, programs, and the right to participate. And I believe my park and my community is one of the best ever, but I know we can step it up a little bit with perhaps bringing in more programs and activities, though I have seen some pretty good ones up there. They have a a summer camp for the kids where they uh, allow families to come in and do like overnight tent set up and doing that, which, oh, I just thought that was lovely to have something like that. And we have a hummingbird garden where people come and sit 
and just wait to look at the hummingbirds, which is a beautiful, beautiful garden. And so many of them come. So we have a lot of bird watchers in our park as well. I love that, Dr. Gordon, because I think that that really speaks to those special places that are in community. Like I think the most successful parks and public spaces are those ones with those sort of special places that you just described. They're not just, you know, the ones that have the playground, like that they're not just checking the box on, is there a playground? Yes. Is there a washroom? Yes. Is there a walking path? Yes. It's also that story and connection to that particular community. It could be a community garden that was started by a volunteer. You know, it's it's that thing that really sets it apart and that makes those places, um, I think, really special and really contributing to the overall health of the community. Oh, yes. And wonderful reflective places. Uh, they, they name some of the lakes and things after some of our former leaders in the community. And so when you see those names, it brings up that memory of the person. Uh, we even have a Dr. King memorial up at the park, and everyone goes to take pictures at the memorial with the stones that have some of his uh, brief quotes on it. And uh, just reminds people to, to be together, to have unity, that we all can work together uh, when you think about the messages of Dr. King. And so uh, having those public spaces that even speak to things like that brings that togetherness and unity within the park. Absolutely. I want to go to your park. <laughs> I'm telling you, our park is great. In the Palm Park, we have a great park. And I still have more in my park, which I love, Kenneth Palm Park, which brings me to my next question. What are some barriers that prevent older adults from using open spaces and parks more often? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, really what the research shows is that in many ways, our parks are kind of failing older adults because older adults represent a large proportion of the population, but are often underrepresented when we actually do observational studies of who who are using the parks. And I know and you know that that's not because older adults don't want to be out in parks and public spaces. It's usually an indicator that the parks are not meeting their needs. And it's the same idea that we have with the 880 lens. Do you see a large presence of children and older adults in a space? If you do, it probably means it's inviting and working quite well. If you don't, there must be something maybe that's off and, not, and is not working so well. The same can be applied when you think about different social locations. So we often look at the parks. Uh, is there a like larger proportion of women in the park or a larger proportion of men in the park? There's not very many women in the park. That usually means there's some safety concerns. Are there uh, a large portion of racialized communities in the park? It usually means that they're feeling welcome and, and safe. If there's not, maybe, and it's a community that has a heart, large uh, racialized population, what's going on there? So these are great ways for us to understand sort of what's working in the park and what's not working and who is working for and who it's not working for. And in terms of older adults, what we really find is accessibility is a huge barrier often in terms of walkability to the park. So you can have a beautiful park, like inside the actual park boundaries is so exciting and beautiful and well-designed. But again, it's that, how do you get into the park? Do you have to cross a really busy road? Are the lights too fast for someone who's not walking as fast? The lights go way too fast and you feel unsafe as you're trying to cross the street? 
Are there uneven surfaces, like if you're in a mobility device or if you have any uh, mobility concerns or uneven sidewalks? These are things that would prevent people to accessing the park, not just for older adults, but for people who have different mobility needs. So walkability is really important and access to parks is really important. Uh, I mentioned this before as well, washrooms, public washrooms. Many focus groups that we've had with seniors and older adults have been a lot of people don't go to the park because there's not access to safe uh, washroom facilities. Uh, And so this is a really important amenity. Same with drinking fountains, water, uh, simple things, you know, that people need if they're going to be spending some good time in public space. And then, of course, safety concerns are often the biggest sort of concern when we do research or focus conversations Is the park safe? Am I I going to feel uh, vulnerable? Um, Do I have good sight lines? Are there other people around? So those are kind of the big barriers. But we know that there's so much more that needs to be done because the research is really showing that uh, there's not a lot of engagement. Well, there is underrepresentation of older adults in public space, which means that we need to do better. Absolutely. And back to my little park community, there are about three other parks in proximity, and I think they're all in the same system, literally like across the street from each other, where as you speak about the mobility being one of the important features, one park I would say in the neighborhood, it would be easy to walk to and to ride to, and they put little exercise equipment in the park. It's a smaller park and it has a walking path, so very smooth surfaces. And I would say that would be the park for an older person that may have some challenges, movement to be able to get to. And then there's another park that has that same sort of walkable type of surface, but it's in the uh, line of public transportation. And so you're able to get to that one and they have different things. Again, that one's right there in the line of public transportation. Then there's the bigger park that you would have to drive into or be able to really walk up some trails or something like that to get to. So making it accessible for different levels of movement, I think, is important as well. And when you spoke about the safety in the area, just how does safety impact the use of these spaces? And in particular, how can public spaces affect crime and safety in a community? Yeah, and I would say in general, when you're thinking about designing parks and public spaces for all ages, Safety and comfort are like the top two things. Really thinking about safety and really thinking about comfort. And one thing I failed to mention in the last uh, question that I did want to say too, when we think about comfort, we're also thinking about not just access to washroom. And I uh, imagine in California, you know, sun shade is really important in terms of also comfort in public space. In Toronto, where I am in the summer, it gets really hot as well and shade. You can see exactly where people gravitate to parks and public spaces in the shady spots and the cool spots. And then in the winter, it's opposite. So everyone's flocking to the sunny spots to warm up a bit. So that's a really important concern around safety and comfort. And then on your question about safety, it's a, such an important um, driver of uh, use of parks, uh, absolutely. And it's often if um, parks are feeling unsafe, it can be actually a, um, a deterrent for people to, to actually use the public space. And it can also, uh, perceptions of safety are just as important often as uh, the actual sort of statistics around particular incidents in parks or public spaces. 
So maybe the data from the police show that there hasn't been any safety incidents in the park. But if people feel unsafe or there's a perception of a lack of safety, it still is strong enough that people will not actually use the park in public space. And so quality parks and well-maintained parks can actually improve, uh, and the research really shows that they can actually improve safety, not just actual safety in terms of number of incidents, it can improve perceptions of safety. And the opposite is true when you have not well-maintained parks and public spaces. So when we think about access, not just about quantity, it's about quality. So there's really some great tools out there to look at like access to parks, like what percentage of Californians have access to a park space is one measure. But also the devil's really kind of in the details when it comes to access to parks. So you can have great access to a park space, but if the park is not well-maintained or well-programmed or well-designed, it can actually increase rates of crime or feelings of uh, lack of safety. Yes. And of course, we want our younger adults, our, our young people, and we want our older adults to feel safe. And I think those are some really important pointers that you brought up in terms of safety in that space. Now, how does transportation to and from a public space or park play a role in the use of the park? It plays a huge role. Transportation plays a huge role in the use of parks and Proximity and access are usually the biggest predictors of whether a park will be used and the participation levels of uh, people in parks. Having great access through clean sidewalks and clear sidewalks and right-of-ways, as well as bicycle facilities or transit stops, bus stops that are easily accessible, are a huge predictor of whether people will choose to go to the park or actually have access to the park itself. So especially sustainable modes when we're thinking about uh, improving access to people of all ages, all abilities, all incomes, all backgrounds, really thinking about walkability, bikeability, and transit access are key in terms of thinking about improving access to parks and public spaces. Yeah. And I think the other part about the transportation, that's the one thing that I, I think I can champion for with my park uh, in terms of something that could be better. It is free entry for parking during the week. But on the weekend, when many people would probably use the park, there's a a fee to park. And I don't mind paying the fee because I think, well, I walk here for free all week. So if I want to drive in and, and park on the weekend, I don't mind helping to keep this public space, this public park open. But I could imagine for many people, they wouldn't be able to pay the fee to park and and maybe they need someone to help get them there in a car, in an automobile. So having access in terms of using public transportation would also be important, though I can see how important transportation is to these spaces. So my next question for you is, because it's it's very clear that age-friendly public spaces are important, what advice do you have for our listeners to advocate for access and improvements to public spaces and their community? My big advice is to get involved. Uh, and we know that sounds really sort of simple, uh, but sometimes the simplest things can be the most effective. And getting involved can mean a lot of different things. And I think the beautiful thing about getting involved with parks 
is that there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. You can get involved by being part of a friends of group, an actual group that is championing improvements to your local park. You could also get involved just by saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, uh, clean the beds of the garden uh, because maybe that's something that you really feel like you have skills to share in. I think parks offer so many diverse opportunities for getting involved and it doesn't necessarily mean sitting on uh, town hall meetings, which is one way to get involved, but it could also be, you know, picking up garbage or uh, cleaning the planting beds or recruiting volunteers or doing a simple program in the park. I had a really wonderful experience where we did some engagement with a a park here in Toronto. And one of the ladies uh, that was very involved in some of the engagement to inform the design, redesign of this this local park, uh, you know, her big thing was that she really wanted to make sure that there was comfortable seating uh, in the park and not just benches, but, you know, uh, tables and chairs so that she could sit around with her friends and socialize. Uh, and this this older adult woman was so excited when actually the design came through and there's tables and chairs in that park. And she sent me a picture of her meeting with her friends every week they meet. And I just think about the return on that investment for her quality of life and her everyday quality of life. Every week she's meeting with her friends, getting social connection. She lives alone. So this is really important to her and to her mental and physical health. And something as simple as some tables and chairs in the park. Uh, She sent me the picture of her book club friends that they meet every week. And so that's also getting involved, you know, like you can do just by being in public space and actually participating in the beauty of public space, uh, I think is is part of getting involved in your local parks and public spaces. I think that's so important. And what a lovely story. Thank you for sharing that. So many people get involved in community spaces like that uh, in just the way that you mentioned, being able to engage. And it was evident right there that that person engaged in the design of of what was happening, of designing that that space, and then reap the benefits of it, which is wonderful. I think that tells us why it's so important for community members and residents to be engaged in the design of these spaces as well. And when we speak about them being involved, are there any tools or resources to help individuals learn how they can do their part or get involved in in the park ranks? Absolutely. Uh, Actually, we basically wrote the guide with AARP on creating parks and public spaces for people of all ages. So I know the listeners can't see that I'm holding up the the report, but the report is available on both 880 Cities website as well as AARP uh, Livable Communities website. It's free. It's downloadable. It's got case studies of some of the things that I talked about, creating great design, programming, and participation for all, but also tools. If anyone who is listening has done like a walk audit before, which is basically like taking a stock of what's working and what's not working from a walking perspective, well, we have a park audit tool. You can go to your local park and uh, you have simple tools to review what's working, what's present, what's not there. And that can help you advocate for improvements. But the biggest thing, I think, is being in the public space itself. 
you can learn a lot by observing. And so I encourage folks to go to their park and public space with this new perspective, you know, put on your 880 goggles uh, and and see what see if you can see it through new lens and if there's something that sort of sparks your interest and it might give you some inspiring ideas for what could be done to improve the space and how you might be able to be uh, involved in in actually making that change happen. Oh, that sounds great. Now tell us your website. It's 880cities.org. So 880cities.org. 880cities.org. And of course, at AARP, Livable Cities, you can also find that report. This is so, so interesting. And 880 Cities, from, from what I understand here, 880 Cities is built on the belief that if everything we do in our public spaces is great for an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old, then it'll be great for people of all ages. Can you share with us just an example on how you bring together these different generations uh, that would include older residents for the benefit of the community? Yes. Where do I start, Dr. Worden? I mean, I think we've been doing this for 17 years and in a lot of different cities, I think over 350 cities. But I can share with you, I think the biggest thing that we've learned along the way uh, in bringing people together to actually improve mobility in public space is the power of engaging new community members in that process. And I think that really challenges us to think differently about how we do community engagement between not just the nonprofit sector, which we're a nonprofit, but we're often supporting cities and towns in rethinking how they do engagement in these spaces. So the traditional approach is often, oh, we're having a town hall meeting, come at 7 p.m., uh, you know, share your voice, uh, share your ideas and feedback. But really that process doesn't work for a large proportion of the population. And one of the things that we've really been focused on over the last uh, 17 years is really getting cities and nonprofits and multiple partners involved in actually engaging community where they are at. So that really means thinking more creatively of going to where people are rather than asking them to come to you. Because if you ask them to come to you, you're probably going to get the same folks. And they're wonderful. They're great. They're great champions. But we need this to be a broader movement. And we need even more investment in public space. Unfortunately, parks and public spaces are often the first on the chopping block when it comes to investments and city budgets. So that's why I'm making this strong push to your listeners to get involved because if we're not uh, proactive about advocacy and engaging and getting more investment in parks and public spaces, knowing all the wonderful benefits that I highlighted at the top of the show, we're going to lose more space and we're going to uh, go back um, you know, on, on the, those benefits. We're not going to reap those benefits and it's going to be detrimental to communities and the communities that will be... Um, Harmed the most are the communities that have 
uh, historically been harmed the most by these lack of investments in, in public infrastructure. Uh, that's communities of color, that's low-income communities. They are bearing the burden most of uh, a lack of investment in public space. So we need to be more creative and outreaching and going to new communities, getting more diverse communities involved in the parks planning process and activating our parks and public spaces. And that means doing the work, going, actually building those relationships, um, outreaching to new communities, uh, popping up in libraries, bookstores, coffee shops. You know, we do a lot of very unconventional approaches to engagement at 880 Cities. And sometimes we have to build um, those places ourselves, host movie nights, host community barbecues, host different types of uh, activations that can get new voices to the table to advocate for parks and public spaces for all. And we have to do that advocacy. And I know we've been talking a lot about parks, but the public spaces, the community, the community centers in the neighborhoods, the senior centers, all of these spaces are beneficial to the entire community. We use them to host movie nights and doing those unconventional things. So thank you for bringing those up. I was even thinking restorative learning, especially in places like public parks, when we have reentry of some of our population that have been in the justice system or in the uh, system coming back out. What a wonderful way to have some restorative learning, getting a group together to teach how the plants are taken care of in the park or how we keep these public spaces safe. I would think that the city or county that people are living in would be open to suggestions like that, which might be a little unconventional because we're talking about reentry and things like that. But it might be a wonderful way to bring our population back into the community, especially our older population that have been in the justice system. It could be a wonderful way to bring them back, having them working in the parks and things like that. Such a great, great suggestion, because I do think parks and public spaces have the power to heal. I think they can be healing spaces. And actually, there's some a wonderful project. Uh, one of the things that we do at 880 Cities is support change makers in communities. And uh, we actually had a change maker uh, this year uh, propose a project much like you are mentioning. And it is for folks who had been through the justice system and uh, carceral system uh, to share uh, confessions in the parks and public spaces as a as a place of healing and and a place to to create a platform for sharing specifically for men of color who had been through the carceral system here in uh, Toronto. So I, I absolutely think it's, you know, it just speaks to the power of all of these spaces that really ultimately they belong to all of us. And I think that's sometimes something that we forget is that these public spaces are public and they are spaces that belong to each and every one of us. So absolutely, we get to have a voice and involved in the future of these spaces. And uh, those spaces include not just the parks, but the libraries, the community centers, the streets. These are all public spaces. And there is a real opportunity for a more democratic use of those spaces through active community involvement. Thank you. Amanda, if you could leave our listeners with one soundbite, what would it be? 
I think that uh, I would say great parks, great parks and public spaces makes communities livable for all ages, abilities and backgrounds. Great parks make communities livable for all ages and backgrounds. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love it. And will you remind us one more time where our listeners can learn more about 880 Cities and your work with AARP? Yes, uh, you can find us at 880cities.org or 880cities.org. That's our website. We're also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at 880org. And then AARP are multiple guides. So the first guide is Creating Parks and Public Spaces for All Ages is at AARP Livable Communities. But we also have multiple guides and partnerships that we've done with AARP that I encourage you to check out. Uh, So the first one was Parks and Public Spaces for All Ages. The others include winter placemaking, maybe not as relevant for California, but for some of the winter cities that might be listening. Addressing Homelessness in Parks, an Inclusive Practices Guide. And our most recent publication is Creating Community Gardens for People of All Ages. So there's a great list of resources and wonderful collaboration that we've had with AARP over the last six years. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today. Do you have any last comments before we wrap it up? I just wanted to say thank you so much, Dr. Gordon, for hosting me today and for this lovely conversation. And to the folks in California, I just uh, wanted to say, you know, a lot of the research uh, in California in particular shows that a large proportion of Californians do not have access to great parks and public spaces. And so I think there's a really big opportunity for more involvement uh, in parks advocacy in your state. And in particular, California, the park deficient areas are disproportionately in communities of low income, in communities of uh, color, in communities that have had historical disinvestment. So I think there's such big work to be done in California, and uh, we wish you all the best here at ADD Cities. We hope our guides and tools can be of uh, use. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. And I think my little dog in the background Says is trying done. to compete with you. <laughs> You've been on that for right, a long well, enough time. For that. But you are absolutely right. There's a lot of work to be done in California and our volunteers with AARP and our listeners, I know, are up for the challenge. So let's all get involved in our parks and public spaces initiatives by joining 880cities.org and checking out AARP to learn how we can get involved. Amanda, thank you for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. This was a wonderful conversation that has made me want to get outside with my hiking group. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Amanda O'Rourke with 880 Cities on the importance of public spaces and parks and how we can continue to advocate for them in our state. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voice of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening.